As we stand at the precipice, feeling the heat on our faces from the dumpster fire our country has devolved into, sometimes an escape is necessary. And sure, meth will do that for you, but maybe, just maybe, dating horror stories from someone else's romantic fuckery might be better for your health. Surely your dentist would agree. So, laugh. Cry, blush from secondhand embarrassment, and revel in a playground of mishaps that just might help you forget. Welcome to The Cultural Experience, Season 1, The Alphabet Chronicles. R is for regret. Huh. He was the best mistake I ever made. A few years after my ex and I broke up, and after a few years of navigating the hell of New York City dating, I finally landed a boyfriend. On one hand, he was everything I was looking for. He was cute and ambitious, kind, funny, the life of the party. On the other hand, he was toxic and quiet, distant, sexually inaccessible, aloof, an alcoholic, It was hard to reconcile these opposing traits. I felt like a crazy person. Or, this relationship turned me into a crazy person. But I loved him. I loved him hard in an all-consuming way. (laughs) Maybe that was the problem. I'm learning that I love too deeply. I expect too much. I'm thrown too far off my axis by the smallest things because I feel so intensely. I'm trying to change this, trying to find a balance between my extremes, but I don't know how. Maybe it's just who I am. Maybe I have to find someone who appreciates that. (laughs) Clearly he didn't. We first dated in high school. He was the first boyfriend I ever had and was my impetus for coming out of the closet at 16. Even though that first time we only dated for about a month or so, to this gay 16-year-old, that month was a lifetime and he was everything to me. He played a big role in building my confidence. I mean, he was gorgeous. Our first go of it was okay, until we broke up, right before I left for a summer program, and thank God for that. I mean, a horny, gay, heartbroken 16-year-old at theater camp? I was in sexual exploratory heaven. (laughs) I hooked up with a boy in the middle of the dorm hallway, rehearsed monologues with one right before fucking his face. He's actually kind of famous right now. Sucks it didn't work out. I went to a college party and ended up naked with another guy in a closet. It was amazing. In fact, I probably had a better sex life then than I did in college. As I grew up and moved across the country, the alcoholic stayed on my mind, cementing himself as a formative player in the story of me. He wasn't someone I, you know, thought of often, but he would pop up every once in a while. I ended up sitting next to his friend at my first job in New York, and I saw him on the street a couple times. He'd moved here for college, but... I never stopped to say hi because something inside kept telling me I would see him again. That life would present a better opportunity for us to reconnect. And it did. One random night at two in the morning at a diner in Chelsea that has oh so ironically shut down. When I spoke to him in that diner, even after 14 years of reticence, I still remembered the illicit touches and passionate kisses of our youthful indiscretions. I still remember how he looked without his shirt on, how his blowjobs felt, how he tasted. 
the overwhelming memories are probably what made me fall for him so quickly because, you know, I hugged him and fell in love with him all over again that night. He's the only man I've ever loved. Maybe that's why I fell so hard. Maybe that's why I smothered him. Maybe that's why I couldn't be the lover he needed me to be. Maybe that's why I stayed with someone so wrong for too long. He claims he wasn't on a date that night, or maybe he ultimately copped to it. Unclear. Interesting, because this is a pattern that would surface throughout our relationship. Lies about things that didn't matter. Insignificant things, like where he purchased his dog, or saying he ran into his ex even when he hadn't. I don't know. That's one of the many things I was never able to understand about him. The needless lies. For as much effort as I put into getting to the bottom of them, attempting to figure them out, to understand the reasons behind the lies, all my digging produced was more confusion. I don't think I know anything about him. Still. There's something tragically poetic about that. (laughs) But before I'd fallen victim to this, I romantically and ignorantly fell head over heels for my high school boyfriend. Oh god, it's perfect, right? A fairy tale. I finally found my prince charming, and he and I were going to live happily ever after. A week after running into him, we were officially a couple. Three weeks later, I realized he was an alcoholic, uh, and it was three to five weeks after that when I put my good southern training to use and began ignoring glaring issues. You know, I was pretty adept at it, too. Well, adept-ish. Adept enough to ignore his toxic self-hatred and move in with him, and his roommate, into their basement two-bedroom split in Harlem. I was in love! What could go wrong? (laughs) As it turns out, everything. Maybe that's not fair. There were some good times. Like the time he took me on vacation for my birthday. He would get up every morning, letting me sleep and go down to have breakfast by himself where he would start drinking, and then when I would come down and sit with him, he would get up and leave to go to the beach, where he'd drink a few more before I was able to finish and join him. Oh god, nothing says I love you like being forced to eat alone on your birthday vacation. Hashtag romance. Or that time he was wasted and jumped out of a cab and disappeared. I couldn't find him. I had the car circle a five-block radius looking for him for, I don't know, 20 minutes. Nothing. (laughs) I did get a text from him, you know, hours later, letting me know he was fine. When he leapt out of the cab, he went to his office and spent the night there. Makes sense. Maybe I'm not giving him enough credit. There were those loving times when he would go to sleep so drunk he would kick me off the bed, or drunkenly toss and turn, swinging his arms around, punching me awake. You know, the stuff dreams are made of. Eventually, I wrote off his quirks as just who he was. It was just who he was to stay out until 3 or 4 a.m. at gay bars. It was just who he was to stumble into our room drunk, waking up the dog and face-planting onto the floor while trying to take off his pants. Literally. A 6'3 man face-planting onto the floor at 4.30 a.m. on a Wednesday. Oh, God. Hashtag Prince Charming. Asking him not to be this way was, of course, controlling. Asking him not to walk into traffic in the middle of Times Square was, of course, condescending, and telling him I wouldn't fuck him because he was so drunk he didn't know exactly what country he was in was, of course, irrational. I put up with it as best I could, which I'm sure he would argue was subpar at best. Until one day, we'd gone out drinking and both of us had too much. 
which is saying something, considering at that point in time, it was almost impossible to gauge how what too much looked like. We were in a cab on our way home. I was trying to initiate sex and being rejected for the thousandth time. And I couldn't anymore. I hit a wall. I couldn't be in a relationship with an alcoholic who was hiding so desperately from himself that he couldn't let me in. Mentally, physically, emotionally. I, I still to this day don't know what or who he was hiding from, but he was hiding. And I was searching ravenously to connect to something, someone in him, some part of him I could see and share and hold. The process was elusive and exhausting because as soon as I'd find it, he'd be gone again. And I could never find him the same way twice, so I couldn't retrace my steps. There were no breadcrumbs in this fairy tale. Well, there were, but each time I tried to follow them, they led in circles. I wish I knew when it started. Was he always like this? I feel like he was so open and warm in the beginning. I can only assume I somehow disappointed him along the way. Maybe I wasn't what he thought I would be. Uh, I don't know. But I hadn't seen him in so long. (laughs) By the end, I didn't understand him at all. I have no idea who he is. We were in the cab with my hard dick writhing its way out of my pants, his chastity belt on, when something snapped. He tried to pay for the cab, and his card was declined. Are you kidding me? This was a man who insisted on going out to $300 dinners on a Tuesday. I didn't... I didn't understand. All of this erratic behavior and irresponsibility was beginning to feel like a variation on a theme. A new horrible composition each time whose tune I always recognized, but not until after I'd been fooled by the ornamentation coloring the return. Elaborate, bending flourishes that distorted the melody enough to fool the ear into thinking it was something new. Even if only for a phrase. I threw myself out of the cab and went inside. I couldn't deal with his bullshit anymore. I had the overwhelming urge to hurt him, worse than he hurt me. To make up for all of the nights I couldn't sleep, the nights he'd ignored my texts because he wanted to stay out. To make up for all the nights he was too drunk to know what room he was in. All the times I had to stop him from walking into traffic or stand on the sidewalk and helplessly watch him do it. To make up for all the mornings I would hide in the bathroom and jerk off because I was shamed for my sex drive. All the times he would refuse to touch me. To make up for all the hours and days I spent wondering if he loved me because he never loved me the right way. He came into the apartment after somehow paying for the cab. I was sitting on the couch. Our room was a mess. As per usual, a poetic physical representation of the inner turmoil of our relationship. There were clothes everywhere. The bed was unmade, glasses on the coffee table, the candles in our fireplace burning faintly in their oversized glass cylinders. I forget what he said. It didn't matter. I had already been hurt by him more than I'd ever been hurt before, and I was going to return the favor. I was going to hurt him back. His presence shifted the space, forcing us towards an inevitable confrontation, a whirlwind I still have a hard time piecing together. I said cruel things I can't take back. I know how to hurt people. I know how to say things that people will remember for a long time. It's not the most charming quality I possess, but it is certainly the most effective defense mechanism at my disposal. I had to hurt him. I had to hurt him so that I could see him. I wanted to find the man I was in love with. I had to hold him. Where was he? I tried, but I was lost. 
I left a trail last time I found him. Why is it leading me nowhere? Where is he? Where am I? Why did I let you do this to me? To us? Smash! I threw a glass into the fireplace. It exploded into tiny pieces of incandescent brilliance, expanding its presence exponentially, infinitely, the dismantled shards mimicking my insides. Part of me was in awe. Part of me was horrified. My dramatic nature was impressed by the utter abandon of it all. Though, shockingly, uh, it didn't provide the release I imagined it would. Whenever I saw Greta Garbo or the like throw a glass, I assumed it was accompanied by a sense of release. This didn't satisfy. He seemed unfazed. I still hadn't found him. Where was he? I went up to him, shouting something about how he never wanted to be intimate anymore. Where was he? I grabbed his shirt. Where was he? I ripped it. I ripped the whole thing off. Buttons flew everywhere. There. In his eyes, I saw it. It was faint, but there was some sign of life. There were no breadcrumbs here. It was uncharted territory, and it felt dark and cavernous. I hated myself at this moment, but I needed to see him. I needed to feel him come back to me. Then it happened. The one moment I swore to myself never would. To be fair, I probably deserved it. But domestic violence is frightening. It's disgusting in any relationship, but it's even more disturbing between two men. The testosterone is palpable. You're evenly matched. No longer human, you're reduced to the purest animal essence, a beast in the wild, a lion, free from the confines of human decency. Nothing remains but a burning, spherical energy searing the places your soul used to be. All external influences fall away, and the only thing guiding you is the tunnel vision leading to your target. It's something I never want to experience again. It turns my insides to the thick, soupy consistency of gelatin right before it sets. In a single instant, we shattered everything we'd worked for, and we were left with nothing, only emptiness. I don't even think either of us cried. After all this, I still love him. (laughs) Most days I'm okay. I mean, for fuck's sake, it's been long enough. I should be okay every day. But I guess that's not how life works. Will there be a day when I don't miss holding his hand, miss the sweet things he would do for me, miss holding him? I hope so. I am happy every day I don't have to deal with the drinking. It's fascinating. At one point, it made me feel so helpless I started to monitor his intake just so I could feel in control of something. I wouldn't tell him I was doing it. It was for me, to ensure I wasn't crazy, to have something tangible I could measure and hold on to. Two drinks, now three. How much of the bottle is left when I go to bed versus when I wake up? How else could I gain a sense of stability in a relationship in life that was spinning out of control? I can't definitively say the fight is what ended us, but sweet Jesus, it didn't help. From there, we slowly devolved, silently accepting there was nothing good enough to fight for. This made my anxiety worse, which must have drove him mad, but he stayed. We stayed. Interestingly enough, I think it was a conversation the night of his birthday that calmly and quietly unraveled whatever... No pathetic excuse of a relationship we had left. After that, it was only a matter of time. We sat on our stoop talking about children and what our lives would look like once we had them. He started talking about how kids would be the most important thing in the world, more important than he and I's relationship, which, 
at the time was relatively shocking, considering I didn't feel like our relationship could rank any lower on his list of priorities. It's essential to me that my children were able to look to my relationship as a model for success. In order to do that, I have to be able to connect with my partner. I have to be important to them. Our, our relationship has to be important to them. He didn't see it that way. I realized in that moment I would never be a real priority to him. Not like I needed to be. Maybe that's why it was so easy to hit me. We were quiet when we went to bed that night. We weren't in a fight, but there was a still resolve I'd never felt before. We were different. About a month later, he called to tell me about an exciting promotion. I was at work and left my desk to talk, thrilled to hear about this new opportunity for him. He sounded so excited, a bit nervous, you know, but full of hope. I thought this might be exactly what we needed to bring us together. Something to fortify his confidence and get him excited about life again. Immediately after hanging up, I canceled my plans for the rest of the night. And at 5.30 on a Wednesday afternoon, I showed up to meet him. I was a block out when I saw him. He was wasted. Wobbling around, unable to focus his eyes, obliterated. It was at that moment I knew I had reached my limit. We'd been grasping at straws, and suddenly there weren't any left. I was officially no longer a factor in his decision-making, and there was no way I was waiting around to see if children or marriage or a proposal would shift his priorities. He was lost and was willing and able to take down everything in his path. I didn't know what the next steps were, but I couldn't continue like this. I should have turned around. I was in too deep, I guess. I walked the block to the restaurant and gathered him from his co-worker, her eyes telling me she helped get him to this place. She looked eager to see what would happen next, like she was waiting for me, daring me to react. I ignored her and kissed him, letting him lean on me as he swayed and stumbled the three blocks to the train. We got on the subway home, and after two stops, I told him I was getting off at 59th Street to go to the gym. I could no longer watch his bleary-eyed stare desperately attempt to focus on something, anything, while his body swayed back and forth, unable to stabilize itself. It killed me to watch him disappear, leaving only the husk of the man I fell in love with. I asked if he would please sober up because we had things we needed to discuss when I got home. He turned to me and easily said, No. My heart wasn't broken before. (laughs) The last remaining shreds crumbled to the floor, worthless sawdust to be kicked around by children on the sea train. I got off the car knowing we'd never go back. I didn't know what forward looked like, but whatever we were was over. Two days later, as I was trying to nail down a time for the two of us to talk, he uh, dumped me over a text message while I was sitting in our bed. Thank you for listening to The Cultural Experience, Season 1, The Alphabet Chronicles. The podcast that's 100% true, except when it's not. Essays are written by Cole Grissom, inspired by real events. But rest assured, if a character resembles you in any way, I promise you're wrong. If you like what you heard today, subscribe, share, Tell your friends, your frenemies, your bad dates, your good dates, the guy in the alley you're planning on giving a handy to later tonight. Tell them all. Until next time, friends.